0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Democrats divided. The House passes a resolution condemning hate. After incendiary comments from a new member.
2: It's not about her.
1: And President Trump throws gas on the fire. They've become an anti-Jewish party. Democratic presidential candidate Secretary Julian Castro weighs in. Next. Plus, border battle. As some Republicans turn on President Trump over his national emergency, officials say a record number of families are seeking asylum in the U.S.
2: This is truly an emergency.
1: Is the real crisis on the border a humanitarian one? Texas Republican congressman Will Hurd responds in moments. And poll position. A new poll from the first state to cast votes ranks the crowded field. And a new candidate goes all in on fighting climate change. It is our only chance for long-term survival. Democratic presidential candidate Governor Jay Inslee joins us. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Austin, Texas, where the state of our union is deep in the heart. We are live at the South by Southwest Festival, where tonight we will, be, we will be moderating town halls with three Democratic presidential candidates. Now, much of the Democratic field is here, as is almost part of the field. Texas native Beto O'Rourke, who dodged questions about his possible run yesterday. One potential candidate not here, Vice President Joe Biden, who still has yet to pull the trigger on a run. A brand new CNN Des Moines Register poll of Iowa Democratic voters shows Biden leading the pack right now with Senator Bernie Sanders close behind both men with substantial leads over the most diverse Democratic field ever to run. And this key early moment in the race comes as the Democratic Party in the House, at least, is showing some divisions prompted by freshman Congresswoman Ilhan Omar's latest comments about supporters of Israel and a resolution forced by the Omar controversy condemning hate in the House. That resolution and those comments giving President Trump exactly what he wants, dissension in the Democratic ranks. With me now to discuss this and much, much more is Democratic presidential candidate from right here in Texas, former HUD Secretary Julian Castro. Uh, Secretary Castro, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Look, at a little handshake there. So let me start right there with the comments from Ilhan Omar. She has previously accused Israel of, quote, hypnotizing the world. She has suggested that support for Israel in Congress is, quote, all about the Benjamins, meaning all about campaign contributions, and then most recently she criticized lawmakers who support Israel as potentially having a quote allegiance to a foreign country. Is she an anti-Semite?
3: Well, I was glad that she apologized. You know, I don't believe that that she's you know in her heart an anti-Semite, but I do believe that those comments uh, gave life to some old tropes, uh, biases against Jews as having dual loyalties. Uh, Or somehow, uh, you know, dominating uh, industries or politics with money, and so I was glad that she apologized. Uh, I'm also glad that uh, that the House is condemning bigotry. Uh, We've seen a rise in anti-Semitism over the last couple of years. Uh, We've also seen a rise in uh, you know anti-Muslim hate uh, and hate directed at others. But yeah, I'm glad that she apologized. I do think that you know, it's fair, whether the country is uh, Israel or a European country or Latin American country, for people to criticize or to, to pick apart the policy that the United States is taking toward that country. Mm-hmm. But it should be done, I think, in a constructive way uh, and not in a way that gives rise to, to old tropes.
1: So you... Um Suggested that you support the House resolution, which condemned anti te- Semitism and, and other bigotry as well. There are uh, Democrats who felt like that resolution was watered down uh, by not focusing on anti Semitism and not focusing on Congresswoman Omar's comments. Uh, Congressman Ted Deutsch, uh, a Democrat from Florida uh, who's Jewish, uh, voiced that concern. Take a listen.
3: Why are we unable to singularly condemn anti-Semitism? Why can't we call out anti-Semitism and show that we've learned the lessons of history? It feels like we're only able to call the use of anti-Semitic language by a colleague of ours, any colleague of ours, if we're addressing all forms of hatred.
1: Do you think that the House Democrats watered it down? Do you think it was something of a cop-out, as as Congressman Deutsch seems to?
3: Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think that there was a lot of talk... uh, about anti-Semitism and the rise of it. I think, um, you know, that the vast majority of people uh, in the Democratic Party recognize uh, that anti-Semitism in the United States and also in places like Europe has been on the rise and that we need to combat that. Um, I think also probably that this was impacted by the fact that uh, Representative uh, Omar apologized for this and mm-hmm. said that she should have said that differently. Um, my hope is that um, apart from this resolution, that we're going to take action in this country to make sure uh, that anti-Semitism and other types of bigotry uh, are not given sustenance. And we have to recognize that we have a president uh, who is dividing Americans along a lot of these lines. And I would like to see us united uh, in trying to offer a different, more positive and inclusive vision For the future of this country. Let's
1: turn to another issue uh, on those lines, but this is also dividing Democrats on the trail. You've said that there needs to be some kind of reparations to descendants of slaves to compensate for years of slavery and discrimination uh, against African-Americans in this country. Um, Take a listen to Bernie Sanders, uh, one of your campaign rivals at a CNN town hall, when it was pointed out that you and Elizabeth Warren support some form of reparations.
4: What do they mean? I'm not sure that anyone's very clear. What I've just said is that I think we must do everything that we can to address the massive level of disparity that exists in this country.
1: So what do you mean? Do you think that there should be actual monetary payments to descendants of slaves? Do you support uh, more like what Senator Sanders is talking about, policies such as child care and education that help those who are disadvantaged? Uh,
3: Well, you know, what I said was that... um that I've long believed that uh, this country should address uh, slavery, the original sin of slavery, including by looking at reparations. And if I'm president, then I'm gonna appoint a commissioner task force to determine the best way to do that. There's a tremendous amount of disagreement on how we would do that. But let me just say something about Senator Sanders' response there, because um, he was also asked this question in 2016. Mm -hmm. What he said on The View, I think, the other day, was that he didn't think the best way to address this was for the United States to write a check. To my mind, that may or may not be the best way to address it, however, it's interesting to me that when it comes to uh, Medicare for All, healthcare, you know, the the response there has been, we need to write a big check, that when it comes to uh, tuition-free or debt-free college, The answer has been, we need to write a big check. And so if the issue is compensating the descendants of slaves, I don't think that the argument about um, writing a big check uh, ought to be the argument that you make if you're making an argument that a big check needs to be written Hmm. for a whole bunch of other stuff. Interesting. Um, So if under the Constitution we compensate people because we take their property, why wouldn't you compensate people who actually were property.
1: Interesting. Very quickly, let's turn to the southern border. The Border Patrol says it has apprehended more than a quarter million people in the last five months, almost double the number from last year. The number of families apprehended at the border is up by more than 300% from last year. Now, you you have slammed President Trump for his immigration uh, policy. What do you think needs to be done to deter all these families coming in uh, seeking asylum, or do you think they should just be allowed to come in uh, and, uh, and seek asylum?
3: Well... You know, under international law and U.S. law, somebody has a right to present himself or herself at the border and to seek asylum. Also, Jake, this is a very important moment. You'll remember that last year the administration said that they were taking little children away from their parents because they wanted to deter other Mm -hmm. families from coming to the United States. They said that if we were cruel enough to just take these little children away from their families, that that would show all of these other families in Central America that they shouldn't come to the United States. And instead of deterring these families, we actually see more families coming. This is exhibit A in the grand failure of this administration on immigration. So when people ask, what is the problem? One of the problems is that this administration has taken the wrong path. I think what we need to do in the long run Really is to engage these Northern Triangle countries, uh, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, and figure out a way to work with them so that people can find safety and prosperity there instead of having to knock on the doorstep of the United States. In the meantime, we ought to follow international law and our practice, which is to allow them to seek asylum when they present themselves.
1: All right. uh very quickly, uh, you are, know that you are only at one uh, percent in our brand new. Is that CNN, what I'm at? CNN, <laughs> uh, CNN, uh, Des Moines well, y- y'all don't even,
3: I don't even make the cutoff right now when don't put the graphic on. You got to you take it down to one percent, <laughs> Jake. All right.
1: What do you need to do to get that number up? You've, yeah. you've been running for president for a while now. Obviously, I mean, your favorabilities went up a little bit, so it's not it like did. it's having no effect. But what do you need to do to get out of single yeah. digits? So uh,
3: my favorability over the last, I guess, month and a half. Uh, went up by six points. Uh, I got out to Iowa a couple of weeks ago. You know, I'm articulating a strong, compelling vision for the future of this country to make the country the smartest, the healthiest, the fairest, and the most prosperous nation on earth. I can tell that as I spend time in Iowa that I'm going to gain traction. And as you know, um, if we were to look at any presidential cycle over the last 40 years, uh, oftentimes it's people that have started off at 3%, 1%, 2%, Uh, including Donald Trump Mm -hmm. at one point was at 1 percent right before he announced uh, that can win the nomination. And so there's a long uh, road, a long journey. And I'm going to go out there and make my case.
1: We'll see you out there. Good luck. Good luck on the trail, Secretary. He's the only Republican lawmaker to represent a district on the Mexico border. Does he see a crisis? Congressman Will Heard, Republican of Texas, is here next. And Those brand new poll numbers from the state that sets the pace in the presidential race. Another 2020 contender is here to respond. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. We are live in Austin, Texas at the South by Southwest Festival, where tonight three Democratic presidential candidates will take questions from voters at the CNN town halls. We are also about 225 miles from the border with Mexico. And this week, the Senate could follow the House's lead and vote against the president's declaration of a national emergency, which would order funding to build a border wall. Joining me now is the only Republican lawmaker to represent a congressional district on the U.S. Mexico border, Republican Congressman Will Hurd of Texas. Congressman, thanks so much for being here. We
5: appreciate it. Pleasure to be on with you. I, and I think we're the only two people at South <laughs> by Southwest wearing ties. I'm just sorry. For I'm yeah. sorry to
1: force <laughs> you to wear a tie. You've come out against the president's border wall. Um, you know that there are new customs and border protection numbers showing that the number of border apprehensions this fiscal year has almost doubled since last year and that more and more of them are families. Right.
5: Is this a crisis? We, we are absolutely dealing with a problem. There's no question. I think the president being focused on border security is important. Last year, 400,000 people came into the country illegally uh, we had 67 billion dollars worth of illegal ar- narcotics coming into the into the the country what I've always said and, and I've been saying this since 2002 building a 30-foot high concrete structure from sea to shining sea is the most expensive and least effective way to do border security guess what the president agrees he mentioned that on uh, one of his last um, um, uh, announcements um, from the Rose Garden um, so what we should be doing is focusing on technology manpower physical barriers where it makes sense we have 654 miles of physical barriers on on the border, this bill, the bipartisan bill that we passed three uh, weeks ago, four weeks ago, has 88 more miles of physical barrier that's going a lot in the in the Rio Grande. Valley. You don't have a problem with that? I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I voted for those things. I've voted since I've been in Congress for 220 billion dollars of funding. And you have 40
1: percent uh, of the border in your district? Uh, about. Mm-hmm. I
5: have I have 820 miles of the border. The border is about 1,995 miles. Um, so- and so ultimately, the issue with the use of the word word... Um, wall? Well, not wall, but emergency. Oh, okay. That gives the president certain powers that I believe um, gets, is, is, um, goes against what our constitution has said. Uh, Congress, back before I was alive, gave this authority up that they have the power of the purse um, to the executive branch in times of of an emergency, Mm -hmm. I think we need to claw that back. So
1: many Republicans were very critical of the president's declaration of a national Mm -hmm. emergency, but only 13 House Republicans, including you, voted against it, uh, against the declaration of the national emergency. Why? Why such a disparity between those who talk about the Constitution and the rights of the Congress to set the funding and the actual... Putting their money where their mouth is.
5: Well, you'll have to ask them why they didn't do that. Here's why I voted for it because I have multiple military bases in my district, and there's a plan to take about $4 billion away from construction at our military bases. I'm in Del Rio, which is on the border. Laughlin Air Force Base produces more pilots than any other facility in the United States of America. There are projects there that take care of the men and women that keep us safe that are going to be impacted. I don't want to see that happen. Also, we have what six months, seven months left in the fiscal year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be almost impossible to spend eight billion dollars from other areas. We we had a bill um, that funded border security. We've done two hundred twenty billion dollars over the last year. This is a problem. We need to be focusing on things like fixing asylum because asylum is being abused um, for people coming here. That's why you're seeing an influx of some of the families. There's a lot of stuff. We should be. We're at South by Southwest talking about technology. We should be using more technology. We're not using the latest and greatest technology. You can put what I call the smart wall Mm -hmm. along the border on all 2,000 miles in less than a year and gain operational control of the border, which means you know everything that's going back and forth across the border.
1: So you voted also for the resolution in the House condemning anti-Semitism and and hate more broadly uh, in the wake of those comments from uh, Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. You're the only black Republican in the House, nearly two dozen of your Republican colleagues, voted against the resolution. A lot of them said they thought it was watered down, it wasn't strong enough. But you voted for it. Why were they wrong?
5: Well, I don't think they were wrong. I voted for it because you shouldn't hate people, period, end of story. We learned that stuff in kindergarten. What I think many of my colleagues were doing and voting against it was lodging their, their being upset about that this was watered down, it wasn't narrow. Had Republicans done that? then the entire Democratic caucus would have gotten, you know, gone crazy and gotten upset about that. Well, to be, f- think- to
1: be fair, I mean, your caucus, the Republican caucus, tolerated a lot of insanely bigoted comments from Congressman Steve King for more than a decade.
5: Yeah, but under new leadership. Right. What when, when was the first thing that Kevin McCarthy did as the leader of the Republican Party? As soon as this happened, he censured him, took him off his committees. Um, the the gentlewoman from Minnesota is still on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Um, this was this was similar remarks. Um, you know, we shouldn't hate people. Like this. Is, this is 2019. The fact that uh, the Democrats tripped up this week dealing with a resolution on condemning anti-Semitism. is absolutely crazy. We should have been talking about how are we going to make sure we're competitive in 5G against China? How are we going to make sure we're working on artificial intelligence and being the leader on these issues? Yeah. But Instead, we're getting caught up um, by some of these by, by comments. We know we should have learned in kindergarten, you shouldn't hate people. So
1: let's talk about artificial intelligence because you're here at South by Southwest mm-hmm. to talk about this and having a national strategy for artificial intelligence. You say the U.S. could be left behind on this. You're a former CIA officer. You're on the House and Intelligence Committee. Explain why the American people should be concerned about this. What threat does artificial intelligence pose?
5: It's the future. Uh, Vladimir Putin said whoever masters AI is going to master the world. I think this is the only thing he and I agree on. And the the, the ability to manage people's data, uh, the ability every industry is going to be impacted by artificial intelligence. In agriculture right now, we are learning how to grow more crops with less water, with less land, with less energy. We all know about uh, autonomous driving cars. Uh, This is going to be the the future economy. And if we're not leading on that, China is going to. And that's going to impact our economy. That's going to impact our jobs. And we got to make sure that our young men and women, our sisters and brothers and sons and daughters and grandkids are ready for the future. And that's one of the things that we're working on up here. And these are one of the issues that um, I'm going to be talking about here in South by Southwest.
1: Lastly, uh, you have a famous or infamous, that depends on your point of view, I suppose, friendship with uh, former Congressman (laughs) Beto O'Rourke, who ran for Senate uh, last year in, in Texas and lost. If he were to become if he were to run for president, become the Democratic nominee. Who would you vote for between Beto
5: O'Rourke and Donald Trump? <laughs> My plan is to vote <laughs> for the Republican nominee. So you would um, vote for yeah.
1: President Trump over Beto uh, O'Rourke? It,
5: it lo- it's most likely that Donald Trump is the, is the likely candidate. So for, Trump
1: over for, O'Rourke. For,
5: that's very clear. Um, uh, unless, I'm, pull- unless, I'm pulling unless, you to say the comment. Look, unless, unless Beto O'Rourke uh, decides to run as a Republican, which I don't think he's planning uh-huh. on
1: doing. Congressman uh, Wilhardt, you know. thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Our next guest is a 2020 candidate building his campaign on a single issue, one that President Trump falsely says doesn't even exists. Governor Jay Inslee of Washington responds to that next day with us. Welcome back. We're live in Austin, Texas at the South by Southwest Festival, where tonight my colleague Dana Bash and I will be moderating town halls with three Democratic presidential candidates. And since we're talking 2020... Here come the governors. Two of them just joined the race, hoping to follow a time honored tradition of moving from the state house, the state capitol rather, to the White House. One of them is trying to make a single issue, climate change, define his campaign and, in fact, the race in 2020. That candidate is Washington Governor Jay Inslee, who joins me now. Governor, thanks so much for being Thank here. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank I, I want to get to climate change in a second, but yeah. before I do, your rival, uh, 2020 candidate Elizabeth Warren, the senator from Massachusetts, called out Amazon and other tech giants on stage here in Austin yesterday. She called for sweeping regulations that would break up large companies such as Amazon. Amazon based in Seattle, obviously. What do you think of the proposal?
6: Well, I think that we need to do things that will protect Americans in this new economy. We've seen spectacular advances offered by large uh, outfits and high tech, which have really helped us in our individual lives. But we have to do things that will protect Americans in this new Internet age, one of which is to protect our privacy. I'm now passing a bill a couple days ago. We passed one of, if not the best, privacy bills in the United States so that our privacy cannot be shopped and marketed and commoditized. That's extremely important given what's going on in the world. Second, we have to protect our net neutrality. And I'm proud to have signed the first law, the United States by statute, that will protect our net neutrality. Third, we've got to look at the tax issue here where working people are paying a disproportionate amount of the tax burden. So there are many things we need to do to protect people in this new Internet age, and I look forward to being involved
1: in those. So I guess the, the, that's interesting That's not really addressing Senator Warren's bill, yeah. because one, one of the things about her, her, her basic premise is Amazon and companies <laughs> like it are too big. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Amazon is too big? Do you think it should not be allowed to own Whole Foods? It should not be allowed to own entities such as Amazon Marketplace or Amazon Basics. Do you agree with that idea?
6: I think that when you do antitrust law, you should set up the antitrust laws for the whole economy, not for one company. So I'm not sure the best route of determining antitrust law should be sort of rifle shots at one company that you decide you don't like. I'm not sure that's the best way for us to do business. But I do believe it's appropriate to have some review of our antitrust laws, given the changing economy. Maybe there are things we can look on that. I have not proposed any at the moment. But I don't think we should wait for that issue. We need to restrain some of these forces that are abusing our privacy, shutting off access to the net, and having unfair tax advantages. And then this – I will tell you about this, uh, about uh, something that I'm very concerned about. We we need to stop corporations from blackmailing local communities – to get giant tax giveaways or they'll move out of town, Mm -hmm. where they pit two communities against each other. We need to stop that race to the bottom. I have some ideas about how to do that. We cannot allow us to be subject to extortion just because a company threatens our jobs if you don't get a billion dollars in tax breaks or a little less than a billion. So that is something I do think we need to stop. Uh, I've seen uh, communities be victimized by that and it's not just Amazon. Every corporation in America looks for that. We've got to protect our local tax base.
1: So let's talk about uh, climate change. Uh, first of all, what do you say to a Democratic voter who hears that your campaign is about climate change and they think, oh, well, then he's not really serious about running for president. and He's just trying to get an issue on the agenda.
6: I would say several things. Number one, I would say that we are the first generation to feel the sting of climate change and we are the last generation that can do something about it. And we've got one shot, and that's the next administration. We have to have this be the primary, first, foremost, and paramount duty of the next administration because the world's on fire. And we've got to act, and we've got a climate denier in the White House. The second thing I would say is if you care about climate change, you're not alone. A poll just came out in Iowa saying it's the top number one priority uh, tied with health care. And the third is this is not a single issue. It is all the issues, Look, if you care about the economy, the economy is now being ravaged by climate change. Mm-hmm. And the economic growth that we can have, I've been on a tour looking at all the job creation going on, solar power in, in Iowa, batteries in Nevada, wind power in Washington. So I've been on this tour uh, nationally looking at what a tremendous job-creating opportunity this is. It's a health issue. It's asthma and infectious diseases. It's a national security issue. I met with Admiral Fallon in Seattle who talked about the Pentagon telling us what a national security threat Right, it is, And now we have Trump trying to, trying to tear up the intelligence report. That's got to change.
1: So let me ask you, even with all of this push in, on climate change, um, the most recent data from Washington state, from your own government, shows emissions actually increased mm-hmm. by 6 percent mm-hmm. from 2012 to 2015. You took office in 2013. Mm-hmm. Why were you not able to bring emissions down in your state during that time?
6: Two reasons. One, we've had the hottest economy in the country, so we've got every, everybody moving to Washington state. And, and when you have more people, you have more cars and the like. But we have done some good things. We've developed a wind industry from zero to six billion dollars in 12 years. We have uh, the largest usage of electric cars in the country. We are moving forward in research and development. And yesterday or two days ago, we passed a bill that will give 100 percent clean electricity to folks. And we have three bills that are now moving for the legislature. But we do need to do more. There is no question about that because we have to tame this beast. And when we do this, We know we can grow our economy. We've got the hottest economy in the United States. We're growing jobs in clean energy. Jobs in clean energy today are moving twice as fast as the average in the United States. The number one job rate of of growth in the United States is solar installer, number two is wind turbine Mm -hmm. technician. So we need to develop those policies, we're doing it. Now one of the reasons we were delayed is I had Republicans in control of our Senate and we have a party that denies the existence of climate change It's kind of hard. I just got a a working Democratic majority. That's why these bills are now moving. And you have me back in three months and we'll pop the champagne. Okay,
1: that's fair enough. (laughs) Uh, Last question, sir. You're joining the most diverse Democratic presidential field in history. Our new CNN Des Moines Register poll shows that only 38 percent of likely Democratic caucus goers in Iowa say they would be satisfied with a straight white male nominee. So why are you, as a straight white male, the right person to lead the Democratic Party if there's so much skepticism from Democrats in Iowa?
6: I think that I have evinced uh, a humility about being a straight white male that I've never experienced uh, discrimination like so many do. I've never been pulled over as an African-American teenager by an officer driving through a white neighborhood. I've never been a, a woman and been talked over in a meeting. So I approach this with humility. And that's why I've been so dedicated through a 25 year public career of advancing justice in our society, of making sure that we have as much diversity as possible in the 2000 people I've appointed. And we've done really well in that regard of making sure that people who work for me have to go through implicit bias training so that they understand how implicit bias can really discriminate against. Us. Doing criminal justice reform where I just uh, offered a pardon to 3000 people with their marijuana convictions because that's been part of the racial disparity that we've experienced, uh, is because of the drug war. So during my time in office, uh, I have been very, very committed uh, to making this a more just and open and tolerant society. And that's one of the reasons Washington is so successful. I was the first governor who stood up against the Muslim ban. That got me in the, just got my blood boiling. So I stand up against this anywhere I see it. And I think people will see that when they get to know me.
1: All right, Governor Inslee, good luck out there on the campaign trail. We yeah. will see you out there. Stay with us. Uh, the 2020 Democratic field is putting diversity and youth in the spotlight, but the results of a brand new CNN poll might surprise you. That's next, live from South by Southwest in Austin. The centrists have
2: to
4: speak
0: to whatever they am doing.
4: What I can speak to is what i do.
2: There are a number of great candidates. No, there really are.
1: And I always like to jokingly say, may the best woman win. We got to be a part of, of this amazing thing in, in Texas over the last two years. And it continues. And we just want to continue to be a part of it. Democrats out in full force this weekend here at the South by Southwest primary as a new poll in the The actual first voting state of Iowa is giving us some insight into the state of the race. Bernie and Biden out far ahead of the other candidates and potential candidates in the CNN Des Moines Register poll with Senator Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris in third and fourth. Uh, Let's discuss with our uh, panel. Uh, I want to start with you, uh, Simone, as a Democratic voter, although not an Iowan. uh, What do you make of the fact the most diverse field of candidates ever And uh, two old straight white men are leading the pack, uh, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. You know,
7: I think it's still early, Jake. Um, I, I am someone that believes this is still largely due to name recognition. But someone like Bernie, someone like Joe Biden, they have very high name recognition. Bernie hasn't even been to Iowa yet, I don't think. Um, so I think he might have the, just been he just go to, OK, He just y- y- went to y- Iowa. So, look, I think Demo- Democratic voters in Iowa know them, and uh, they're looking to people that they know right now, but it's still very early. I think the polls to look at are post the first debate.
1: Post the first debate. Well, let's bring in Congressman Eric Swalwell, who is a potential presidential candidate. You have not said what you're going to do, and I, no offense, but you're under 1% in this poll. A lot of other candidates are. to grow. Room to grow. That's, that's fair. Uh, have you made up your mind? Are you going to run?
8: Getting very close, but I was just in Iowa last weekend. And, I, you know, the number one issue in that Iowa poll is health care. And I saw across the state from West to Dubuque that you see these hollowed out candy jars at gas stations where you have a flyer with a picture of someone in the community. And that's their health care plan. The charity of a, a stranger at a cashier uh, checkout. And, and so people in Iowa are saying we need a health care plan that covers everyone. And I think that is going to drive, you know, much of this debate
1: as we go forward. Linda Chavez, let me ask you, because there's been so much said about uh, how the Democratic Party is lurching leftward and the progressives of all the energy. But um, this poll for Joe Biden, Only 14 percent say he's too conservative. Sixty four percent want him to run. People perceive of him uh, as being uh, more moderate than the other candidates. Does this surprise you?
2: No, it doesn't surprise me. And, you know, I think that there is a hunger for a centrist candidate in this election. I mean, we've got the left wing well represented with Bernie and with uh, Senator Warren and others. And now we have, uh, obviously on the right, President Trump. And I think a majority of Americans are not in either place. They want somebody more in the center. And I think somebody like Joe Biden may fit the bill.
1: What do you think? Who is who is the most uh, challenging to President Trump? You're a Trump supporter. Who Who do you fear would get the nomination for the Democrats?
4: Well, someone who can withstand the far left flank of the Democratic Party would be most problematic for Trump. But the question that jumped out at me to your question to Linda is... At the very end of the poll, 56 percent of Democrats in this survey said they would be very or mostly satisfied if the Democratic nominee thinks the United States should be more socialist. This is starting to remind me a little of the 2016 Republican field. You've got a candidate in there, Sanders, who's saying a lot of things that the people of his party want him to say. And then you've got a lot of fragmentation out there in the rest of the field. He could win Iowa. He could definitely win New Hampshire as a border state guy. And the the route could be on. So I think the combination of the leftward lurch with his organization and with his already strong position in Iowa, I mean, he might actually be the front runner right now, not Biden. Well, that's certainly true.
1: Um, The race is really taking shape. We saw a bunch of uh, candidates or potential candidates say that they're not going to run this uh, week. Senator Sherrod Brown, Democrat of uh, Ohio, former presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, former Attorney General Eric Holder, former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, um, does, Jeff, Merkley. Uh, Jeff Merkley, the senator uh, from Oregon, does this suggest to you that people are seeing that Joe Biden's in the race and it's not worth running because uh, he hasn't fully announced? But we all think he's we going to. We all think
7: it. he's going to. Is announce-
1: that what's going on? Or I,
7: I don't think it's so. I think perhaps for some folks, Vice President Biden is a factor. I think for a lot of folks, though, they're looking at time and money. And with 20 plus, 15 plus potentially people in the field, um, you have to be able to raise the money. You have to have the time to go out there, speak to the voters, and get across the country. You have to have people to work for you, okay? So um, these are strategic decisions I think some folks are making. Uh, I think some of those people you named, uh, all of them actually would have been great presidential candidates, but I think we've got a good field thus far. It's not done being filled out, Um, but look, I think the folks in the race right now are in the race because they think they can be president of the United States. The people that aren't are like, Maybe this isn't my
1: time. So one of the things, one of the dynamics that is most interesting to me, and it has a lot to do with the scrutiny that Joe Biden's record is going to get. He's been in he's been in office for literally for decades, and it has to do with the fact that Senator Joe Biden when he was senator, opposed busing. That's the efforts to integrate schools by bringing in people from different communities. Very controversial at the time. Biden, uh, in a a recent story uh, that came out in the Washington Post, was quoted in a story in 1975 in Delaware saying, I do not buy the concept popular in the 60s, which said we have suppressed the black man for 300 years and the white man is now far ahead in the race for everything our society offers in order to even the score. We must now give the black man a head start or even hold the white man back to even the race. Um, Kamala Harris benefited from busing and integration, uh, and she was, uh, I think, in the, in sec- the second, class. The second c- class integrated in her school in Oakland, California. She was asked about those comments. She said, well, I don't know what he has said recently about those statements, but I'll just speak on behalf of myself. There's no question that we need still to integrate the schools of our country. We had, and I was part of the second g- class to integrate Berkeley, California public schools in the 70s. I do feel at some point she's going to have to confront Joe Biden in the 70s because she was in the 70s being a, a child, in her view, benefiting. Yeah, I wasn't alive when that decision was made. I would have supported
8: it, but let's look at the black experience. You supported experience. busing. Yeah, but I, let's look at the black experience today. You're seeing that, you know, black students who graduate college still have more student loan debt. Than white students. It's a different criminal justice system for a young black man than a young white man. And black households still see their wages are lower. So these issues still persist. So we're not doing enough today. And busting wasn't enough then. And I, th- I think that's going to be, again, a top of mind issue. for. Don't you think
1: folks. that she's going to have to they're going they to they're going uh, to they're
2: going to come to turn. And and my guess is that Biden is going to try to fudge it and is going to try to say, well, you know, it's it was a different time then. And he's absolutely right about that. There were a lot of Democrats at the time who who were opposed to racial quotas in colleges and hiring, and they were opposed to busing. That changed. But at, at the time that he had those positions, that was not uh, out of the mainstream of the Democratic Party.
1: So much going on this week, and then obviously the Democrats had to confront the comments made by uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Uh, I want you to listen to um, how President Trump and how Speaker Pelosi framed the issue of Ilhan Omar and her controversial comments.
4: The Democrats have become an anti-Israel party. They've become an anti-Jewish party.
2: I don't think it watered down the anti-Semitic language at all. I think it, it strengthened it. And it isn't about anybody who hates anybody. It's about people who act upon their hatred.
1: She's talking about the, the resolution against hate. We only have about 90 seconds, but so I want to get you two on this. What do you think?
4: Well, I think the Democrats spent all week stepping on rakes on this issue, watching them try to get their arms around this now for the second time. It's really tragic. Uh, Speaker Pelosi said she had a different experience with words than the rest of us. Well, I guess that's true since most of us don't use anti-Semitic words on a regular basis. I think the Democrats have absolutely fumbled this issue. They have failed on this issue. And I sit out here and get flogged whenever Donald Trump messes up on these issues, and he does. And now the Democrats are absolutely failing after flogging Donald Trump for two years. It is a disgrace.
7: Congresswoman Omar should not have used the term allegiance. um, And I think she is feeling the brunt of that right now. But to suggest that she is anti-Semitic, I think just isn't true. Now, Donald Trump. Folks who live in glass houses should not be throwing rocks, Jake. And that's all I have to say Jake, about we are, that.
8: We are a pro-U.S.-Israel relationship party. Nothing about that's changed. When we see comments like this, we're going to call them out. Uh, but we also can address some of the issues where this two-state solution needs to happen there. We need to restore the aid that President Trump has taken away from Palestinians. But this week, while all of this was going on, we passed an update to the Voting Rights Act. And last week, we passed background checks. So we're still doing work, and we're not going to be distracted by this.
2: But not being able to speak out clearly against anti-Semitism Almost 60 percent of the hate crimes uh, on the basis of religion were against Jews last year, and those crimes are up by 37 percent. The Democrats should have been able to speak clearly and resolutely about anti-Semitism.
1: Thanks so much for being here. I hope you guys all have fun at South by Southwest while I'm working during the town halls tonight. Get there early because their birther wing is filling up quickly. We're going to take a peek inside the Donald J. Trump presidential Twitter library from our friends at The Daily Show here at South by Southwest next. Welcome back to State of the Union. The president's tweets in all their glory on display right here at the South by Southwest Festival.
2: A great guy.
1: At the Donald J. Trump presidential Twitter library here at South by Southwest, the exhibits are constantly hitting refresh. Oh. I thought 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 we had a tweet coming in. in. (laughs) I was getting excited. After every 280-character glimpse into the president's mind.
2: Many people do forget about the haters and losers, but he will never forget about
7: the haters and losers. Happy Father's Day to all,
1: even the haters and losers. Comedy Central's The Daily Show with Trevor Noah dives into President Trump's Twitter feuds and highlights old favorites like the Cinco de Mayo Taco Bowl tweet where the president touted his love for Hispanics with a plug for the Trump Tower grill. And, appropriately framed in gold, a masterwork, the Kofefe tweet. We know he loves gold. Visitors to the exhibit can envision themselves tweeting, tweeting on a golden like. presidential throne. Look at me. I'm Donald Trump. It's two in the morning. Rah, 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 rah. Kim Jong-un. Or step up to the tablet and create your own
7: mocking nickname. Jake Tapper's... Nickname according to the Trump generator, Wimpy Wimpy. Jake Tapper.
1: Trevor Noah believes President Trump's Twitter feed is the key to his appeal.
0: Trump is honestly like he's almost a savant when it comes to his tweeting, because there are tweets that he's written about the future that have come true, there's things that like he's, he's predicted things, we just don't appreciate him, that's the thing. Mostly
1: about himself, though, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that's still genius, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, to tweet things about yourself as a future president and then it comes true is just like, you know, that's, uh, we have to honor that before we die.
1: And these Daily Show correspondents think the president would be flattered, but not surprised by the attention.
7: Obama doesn't have a Twitter library. Reagan didn't get a Twitter library. Nope. Trump is number one. He
0: is winning at Twitter libraries.
1: So are they rooting for the president to give them four more years of material? Probably not.
7: I would be perfectly content being a correspondent on a daily show where all we have to do is make Vito O'Rourke jokes or Kamala Harris jokes. Like, that's fine.
0: We are willing to dig for those jokes.
7: I would write Cory Booker jokes if I had to. And our
1: thanks to Desi and Roy, our tour guides there. Make sure to tune in tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. Dana Bash and I will moderate three CNN town halls featuring Democratic presidential candidates. Fareed Zakaria, GPS, picks up in minutes.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep Next Level.